my name is Megan Smalley, and I'm with Recycling Today magazine. Welcome to the Fresh Perspective podcast. I'm here today with Colin Denahan, who is the Vice President of Metal Source LLC in Wabash, Indiana. Metal Source is a secondary aluminum foundry with several locations in Indiana. It operates a recycling center division, an aluminum reclamation division, and a milling division. The company also offers scrap management, brokerage, transportation, and industrial collection. Colin has been with the company for almost five years, and prior to that, he worked in sales and purchasing at LKQ Corporation for about five years. Thanks for coming on the show today, Colin. How are you doing? I'm doing excellent, and I'm happy to be here. Thank you for the invite. So to start things off, how did you get into the recycling industry? What were you doing before you joined the recycling industry? And then specifically, how did you get into non-ferrous trading? Well, it's kind of a, it's a unique story. I would say that I was playing college baseball at a small accounting and business school in Manchester, Indiana. And I was a pitcher, um, enjoying the college life. There was a gentleman that actually bought and built a bar, a college bar in our town. And that's the guy that's Ben Gubhart. He's our principal owner. And he was looking for bartenders actually to come work for him. And I was 20 years old. He was 25 at the time. We kind of hit it off. You know, I was pretty good at talking to the patrons and serving drinks. And at 21, he asked me if I wanted an internship, if I knew anything about aluminum. And I said, no, nothing about aluminum, but sure. Um, I was going to go into the equipment business probably after college and work for one of my father's companies. And Ben and I hit it off and scrap's been in my blood ever since. So <laughs> that's kind of how I got into the business. And from there, you know, it was my first job, had an internship. By my senior year, I was kind of skipping business classes to just go to the scrapyard and kind of work the aluminum company and learn and grow. And we were very small back then. We were about 15 employees. You know, that was like circa 2007, 2008, which was also the worst year in the commodities business. I don't know if anyone remembers that. So you didn't even really intend to end up in scrap when you were at college. You kind of thought, you know, maybe do equipment work at your dad's business? Exactly, yes. Uh, my dad worked for United Rentals, which is the largest equipment company in the world. He ran the Midwest for several years, and I was gonna run one of his branches or go into sales, I thought, for him, until I met Ben Gebhart and the Metal Source team. Chris Lochner was his VP at the time. Like I said, they kind of took me in, and I was their little brother, kind of learning the business, made my first couple deals, and never left the business since. It's been great. You know, I, you know, after that, I worked at Metal Source for you know, a year or two, the market got rough and I left Metal Source, sold some aluminum extrusion on the East Coast for a year, ran the LKQ Transmeco Heartland book for several years, and then, you know, found my way home um, and been back in the last five years and came back as our vice president of purchasing and sales. So it's been a, it's been a fun ride and I love the industry. Now, how different is Metal Source today from where it was when you interned there about a decade ago? a great question. So a little, little metal source history for you. Metal source was founded in 1999 by Thomas Gebhardt, who's Ben Gebhardt, our principal owner's father. Um, a few years later, in like 2001, I believe, Tom unfortunately passed away. So Ben Gebhardt, very young at the time, dropped out of college, took over the entire family business and grew it from there. Started off as a zinc milling operation. Tom Gebhardt had a non-compete from SNR and he wouldn't be in the aluminum business for several years. And after that came, you know, to fruition, Tom started Metal Source. Started melting some aluminum, buying dross, 
Um, and then we grew from there, you know, Ben had Chris Locker on his team, who was my direct report at the time. And, you know, it was 15 employees. We were very small. We had one small location, one small furnace, a dross milling operation, a small little speeder scrap yard. And my day then consisted of, you know, maybe running a crane, loading a roll-off truck, managing our retail buy room, having five employees, making trips to the bank, pulling out cash to pay customers, you know, doing a lot of that hands-on stuff, maybe on a fork truck, loading a loading a semi, and then it grew to just buying. That was actually the first year that Bluetooth came out. So we thought we were cool. We all had headsets in our cranes. So <laughs> we're trading metal and having roll-off, you know, loading races between Chris and Ben and I was a lot of fun. And now it's drastically changed. You know, we're, uh, we're doing about 10 million pounds a month. Back then we weren't even doing hardly a million pounds a month. So some tremendous growth, different programs. When I came back, one thing we did was expand our wheel buying division. We hadn't bought any aluminum wheels ever. We were focused on mainly aluminum breakage, transmissions, engines, old cast, turnings, radiators, some old sheet, but now, you know, instead of just melting 380, our book of 356 alloy and our new ingot line and our new furnace, is, we call it plant two, it's on the other side of town. Um, that's been the big program I've spearheaded over the last five years. Now you're also involved in leading ISRI's Indiana chapter. Could you talk a little bit about that experience and how you got involved there? And then what is happening in Indiana that members are talking about right now that might differ in other parts of the country? Absolutely. I kind of, uh, I got, I got recruited to uh, volunteer at the Indiana Industry Chapter young in my career. Actually, I have Rick Grinsfeld, our non-resource to blame. He recruited me. Um, and then I've just kind of elevated through the ranks, you know, started off as just a director at large on the board, you know, in my early mid twenties to now being elected, you know, as I was our officer, I was our secretary and our treasurer and now most recently our vice president. ISRI has been really big for metal sources growth as a company from a networking aspect, as well as utilizing all of those trade association resources that ISRI provides, whether it's the safety program, the lobbying arms, career reporting, um, all that lobbying fun stuff that you get into with from that committee. And I think that our chapter has really had great leadership that set a good example of being a strong withstanding state chapter financially with fundraising, with our scholarships that we give out every year and our, you know, internal state lobbying that we've really focused on. So I had the path laid out for me before, you know, a lot of Israel leadership, you know, and now taking on that role as running our committee. So I chair most of our golf outings and our pacer games, and we've grown those attendances to really, really grow our fundraising ability. And we're really proud of the scholarships we're able to award. You know, last year we did $10,000 worth of scholarships, the most we've ever done. And still able to do those and fulfill those scholarships to young up and coming, recycling people's dependents in the industry. And we're still able to maintain that and afford to pay those out. Now, what are some challenges that you faced in your career, either at Metal Source or when you were at LKQ, that you'd be able to talk about? Sure, sure. I think, um, you know, starting out being a type A personality, wanting to, you know, not necessarily control things, but advance early in your career, you know, driven by the financial, you know, money in the business that's ever be made. I really struggled with patience. You know, I thought I was going to divide and conquer and I was young and I bought my first load or traded my first load at 20 or 21 and just learning some patience. And I would say caveating the, the lesson of humility, you know, being able to listen to industry veterans, maybe not necessarily trying to dominate conversations when you're young and you don't necessarily know the industry very well. You know, patience was hard for me because I wanted to go out there and buy, 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 sell, 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 not necessarily you know, understanding that 
hey, there's margin built in, there's freight built in, you know, you have to listen to your industry veterans, what companies are risky that you don't do business with, these companies are more secure, understanding the credit insurance and the risk management side of the business, instead of just, you know, making a big splash and generating revenue and buying and selling. So I think learning that aspect really helped me at an early age and having good mentors, um, industry veterans, like I can, like an example here, I was just talking to the Padmos family, we're really close with them. I went up there and had dinner at a young age and Jeff, you know, Padnos, who was their chairman, you know, CEO, president, I had a dinner with him and just sit, I sat and listened the whole time, you know, I just didn't even talk. And it was just a great experience to hear from someone that had built and ran a company that size and that magnitude. So I think, I think everyone, if I'm going to give advice to anyone up and coming in our business young, maybe find that right mentor, those industry executives that are really helping grow, you know, in our business. Got it. Um, do you have any stories from over the years of working at metal stores that you'd want to share? Oh my goodness. Probably none that I'm allowed to share on this platform. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> um, early, early metal source days. I think um, only a few of us were certified to run crane and I've been playing golf with my colleagues all day and we had some employees call off that night shift. So here I am in golf spikes. This is, you know, terrible for PPE. Now we probably get in trouble, but I'm in golf shorts, golf spikes and a collared shirt, polo shirt in a crane magging dross iron out inside of a plant running an excavator crane. So that was a pretty funny story. All the employees kind of turned their head sideways. Like, what is this guy doing? Oh, he's in golf clothes. He's going to get a crane and run it. It's hilarious. So that's probably a good one that stands out in a very politically correct, nice one that I can share. Got it. Now, you know, in the past, you know, 10 years of working in the scrap industry, what would you say have been some of your biggest successes or things that you, I guess, like lessons you learned that you have applied? So great question. I think that, you know, expanding upon our current book and my experiences and what I brought back to Metal Source would probably be the biggest success. You know, it's our plant two. Uh, plant two was kind of my idea, uh, my kind of business plan with Ben's help and Chris's help and their vision and building our wheel program. You know, Metal Source, when I came back, we were doing zero pounds of aluminum wheels. Now we're doing, you know, upwards of four or five million pounds every month. So I would say building that program and that success of that book of business with vendors, with customers, with our new furnace, with our core recycling process and adding value, um, building that team and that plant was a, was a very big undertaking on top of doing my normal job of trading for our other plants and managing folks. So I would say that's by far financially for us as a company and lucrative, you know, our best, our biggest win we've had over the last five years. Got it. Now, what do you see as the biggest issues impacting the scrap industry today and why and what are some solutions that the industry should be considering or could be considering? I wish I had the answer to these uh, if I knew the idea how to fix it but right now it's I could say workforce you know employees very competitive very hard to you know not only retain but you know the hiring process and get help especially with the whole coronavirus you know pandemic going on right now that's very hard to manage. I feel like the, you know, the unemployment rate's been so low, it's been hard to find competitive talent that would want to work in the recycling business. That's been a huge hindrance. I think that we've been trying to solve that equation and how to get creative with employee retention. And I think that we've done a good job with better benefits, better wages, um, maybe bonus programs, um, referral programs. Um, I think everyone's up against that, trying to solve that problem with not, you know, losing our workforce and be able to hire new employees. I would say also trucking, to caveat that, trucking's been a huge, huge problem for us, whether it's the lack of trucks on the roads, the lack of drivers, 
the expense of trucking costs. It's I've never in an industry I've seen diesel prices go down astronomically, but trucking somehow more expensive. It's just it's it's insane. So I think that logistically it's been a huge problem for all of us in the industry um, with the lack of trucks out there. So I would say those two have been the biggest problem for us recently. Got it. And how have the issues of workforce and the issue of you know trucking and transportation specifically been affecting metal source if you're able to speak to that? Well, they, they've adversely affected us to where, you know, with rates going up, we actually started our own fleet. You know, we own uh, Wabash Trucking. So we took initiative enough to make that capital investment to buy 45 power units, dump trailers, van trailers, roll-offs, and metal source handles probably 20 or 30% of that total book for Wabash Trucking. So that's how we've, I don't know if it solved the issue, but it definitely took on more responsibility. So it's, uh, it's still fighting losing battle, you know, trying to keep drivers, trying to manage those drivers personally, as opposed to third party carriers. But I think we've had a lot of success controlling our own destiny and starting that company in that division. It's been helpful. I don't know what other companies are going to do. I mean, it's, it's tough. You know, if you quote an annual contract and you've got a built in freight rate, you just have to have that variable cost that could really adversely affect that deal, especially on how far you want to ship your metal or buy your metal from. Now metal source, handles primarily aluminum. Could you speak a little bit to aluminum markets? What have aluminum markets been like in the latter part of 2020 and how do you expect them to look in 2021 or at least the start of the year? I think that, you know, the aluminum market, the demand has been very strong. I think that the supply chain has been really, really hurt with the coronavirus and the shutdown of all the automotive sector. That's primarily what we deal with. 90% of our business is automotive. And with the inventories being so low, orders being so strong, I see no reason why the aluminum markets should not remain strong and or be better in the next upcoming months. I don't really know past January or February based on orders, but orders up into the next two or three months are very strong based on our customer base. Now, that being said, very competitive pricing also, you know, it, it almost correlates in a parallel equation where scrap is just as expensive as the orders you're getting and that those margins continue to be tightened and tightened. So I think scrap is could be considered scarce right now, especially in the South. The demand in Mexico is extremely high with the lack of primary availability. I think that that's gonna continue. Scrap's gonna continue to be tight. It's, you know, supply is lower. So winter months coming, I think the demand for scrap pricing could be increasing as well as orders on the automotive and the finished goods side as well. So I think strength, um, it's still gonna be adverse challenges are going to be there to be able to secure your units. So looking at aluminum markets, how are they now compared with the start of 2020 and the onset of the pandemic? You know, has it improved from there? Would you say? I would say yes, definitely. Absolutely. Price wise and demand. Absolutely improved. People couldn't move their finished goods for three months. It was a big, a big issue with uh, the shutdown. So on that being said, the price really didn't matter for those three months. So definitely recovered and it's recovered fast. And we've seen some of the biggest gains in the last two months here that we've seen historically in years. Now, are there any new technologies that you hope that the scrap industry might embrace, you know, looking ahead to the new year? And if so, why? You know, I think our industry seems to be pretty antiquated. I would say as regards to other market segments that I've been involved with or hear from other colleagues, I think that there's a lot of inventory type software that's more 
tailor-made for a recycling company that's easier to navigate now and there's more options it, you know between your retail buying software how you manage your inventory or building loads shipping receiving software um, inventory tracking I think they've really made some strides in that aspect and I think you're seeing more and more even small market companies smaller dealers embracing some of those technologies to be able to make them more efficient you know everyone wants to go paperless these days I think that's going to be huge you know if we can go paperless and not you know the limit with the amount of paper used and how many people are touching one transaction uh, that's our goal you know we're trying to get leaner and leaner to where we still have that those checks and balances and that oversight but we're also being you know efficient in processing the loads making sure the recoveries are okay reviewing lot pictures making sure that you know the customers paid the right amount and still being able to check that process so i think that the technology of going paperless has just been um, very important for everybody and how to still manage that. So there's a lot of good new companies that are making that available to you. Awesome. And where do you see the industry heading in the next few years? And also where do you see metal source heading in the next few years? Great question. Great question. You know, you hear everyone talk about EVs and electronic vehicles and we're, we're very, I'm going to talk about that just because that's, you know, directly affecting us. You know, everyone said the combustion engine is going to be potentially not obsolete, but in less demand over the next decade or so. And, you know, that's, that's a big casting aluminum alloy that we produce. But I think with that being said, you know, there's more and more aluminum being used in a vehicle as well, whether that be for weight restrictions, rust. And for example, you're going to see more and more aluminum in the chassis or structural parts of a vehicle. Um, the drivetrain will still have aluminum in it, the transmission and getting power. Um, I think more parts, whether it be a steering wheel, knuckle column, or suspension arm, are definitely going to be moving away from steel. So I think that in our industry, there's a bright future. I think it's going to change just based on, you know, the alloys being used in a vehicle itself. So I think there's a recycling issue with these, um, the batteries too in the electronic vehicles. You know, the large batteries for some of these EVs, how, do they, how can they be recycled and still protect the environment? So weighing that, weighing that risk versus reward, that's going to be interesting to see how it all plays out and how demand changes and what types of aluminum or steel and what ratio that is being used in a vehicle. Got it. And as a final question, you mentioned that workforce is an issue for many in the industry. So what would you say are some ways that the scrap industry should consider to recruit people to the industry or retain people? What are some best practices that you've seen that work? So for us personally, you know, we started recruiting earlier. You know, we're going to some college career fairs. We are, our HR department has grown and we're being more aggressive with growing talent and recruiting talent and trying to, you know, capture some folks that might go into a technology, a tech, a tech job or someone that's going to go into another market segment and explaining to them in education, you know, Israel's been a big part of that, you know, educating them on what, you know, recycling is and what our company does compared to this. And it's, it's, it's a mixture of manufacturing and green for the environment. And there's a lot of benefits to that. It could be financially lucrative as well. You know, um, we've built a company based on relationships and, you know, my teammates around me have facilitated that. So I think that there's opportunities in our, market segment for attorneys, for accountants, for business managers, for operators. 
you know, mechanics, truck, truck drivers. There's so many different career paths that you could take in, in our recycling business that there could be something there for everyone. In the trades, you know, we're looking at people that aren't necessarily going to college and are going into a tech school or that environment. So we've had a lot of luck. Um, our last, I mean, I was an intern, you know, we started there. So Chris Locker, one of my colleagues, he was an intern. You know, we, we've had some success and some big wins with recruiting some our key executive folks that started 10 or 15 years ago as interns. So um, we try to take on a few every summer. Um, sometimes it works out, sometimes it doesn't, but we at least are able to try to, you know, get the next person up and what we can do for our growth. Awesome. Well, thanks so much for coming on the show today, Colin. My pleasure. You know, I really, I love the business. I think once you work in our industry, there's a lot of people that don't ever leave. You know, the people you meet, the companies you deal with. I mean, some of, some of the guys and girls that I, I've built a 10, you know, 12 year relationship with that I consider, you know, friends. And, you know, you talk every week to some of these people and they become part of your family. And it's just a really fun business to be in. And I'm looking forward to where we can all get together again soon at the next convention in order networking, because that's, that's a huge face-to-face -face business where, you know, everyone in some of these other segments are, are just a number where I think that our business will always have that relationship side and, you know, face-to-face -face dialogue with, you know, locking in deals and growing our business.